people understand that anything to do with this transmission is to do with Baseball Bunch LLC. Uh, no uh, recording can be reproduced or distributed in any forms or mean, including recording or streaming of this particular space event. Welcome, everybody, to Real Talk, which is our Monday evening platform uh, on the Masters of Baseball, all things relating to the education of every topic pertaining to youth baseball, college baseball, travel baseball, high school baseball, etc. Tonight's guest, I will reiterate quickly, I have known Tim in some way, shape, or form since the mid-80s. Uh, I, I happen to have been a mutual friend who was a college roommate, teammate of Tim's at Ohio Wesleyan. Uh, Tim uh, was a head coach at Presbyterian, um, recruited several players uh, from the Central Mass area back in the day. That's kind of how our paths originally crossed um, and then subsequently became the assistant coach and recruiting coordinator at Clemson uh, University. And in 2002, Tim became the head coach at Vanderbilt University. Uh, so, Tim, welcome to tonight's program, and thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you, Walter. I, I appreciate it. And Butch, it's it's good to see or hear you from afar. Butch is out on the West Coast, uh, happy and comfy. Right. Where he's not dealing with any of the 20-degree weathers that we're dealing with up here. <laughs> so, so, Tim, I do want to kind of uh, ask you about that because – I'm going to paraphrase a lot of these questions. And, and one of the first ones, coincidentally, does have to do with the weather. Uh, and it pertains to Vanderbilt has a great indoor facility that is used for other sports and track, et cetera. But you have a, a desire uh, to, you know, whether it's your New England roots or just your desire to get guys ready and prepared for the, the elements what is it that you find, um, you know, when you call it, I believe it's God's stadium, uh, when you begin your practices and in the inclement weather of the early part of the winter, is that just to do with your, your Northeast roots or is it just something with regard to preparing players for the elements as they're going to have to deal with as player during the season? Yeah, probably a little bit of both, Walter. I, I think if, if you play at the highest level, you're, you get, opportunity maybe to play in a, a playoff situation you can play in chicago new york boston minnesota what have you and you know the the conditions may not be favorable to the game of baseball but the reality is it is it's someone else's situation you know it's it, it, god produces this stadium for us and we play in it no matter what and and really it's uh, just kind of a it's out of your control. So what is in your control is how you handle that situation. And I don't think we're, you know, any different than any other sport, you know, outdoor sport, whether it's football or what have you, baseball's a little bit more difficult to play in those conditions because of the ball and the bat and the pitchers and so on. But at the same time, I, I think it's, I've never wanted to go inside with the kids unless we're hitting in the cages. So that indoor facility that we have that I can see from my office right here, uh, I tell them if, if we're in that state and if we're, if we're in that indoor facility, then you've got another coach because we're, we're staying outside no matter what the, what the situation is. So it, it's kind of always been the way.
So, Tim, on another topic similar to that, when you changed over from the conventional grass and uh, clay field to turf, how does that allow you to prepare differently, meaning you're not having the team rake or do field prep necessarily? You also have to, you know, things like sliding into bases, pitching off of a turf mound. Is that something that you specifically train or work with with regard to your practices? It is. You know, I never wanted the turf, Walter. I, You know, I was the grass and dirt coach i mean becoming a coach at presbyterian you're taking care of that space and i always enjoyed the cutting of it and uh, the preservation of it and i think when we got here it just became more of a it it, it did become a player situation it it, it was a you didn't you, you're spending a lot of time on taking care of a field, manicuring a field, and then also tarping the field when it's wet or you're going to have frost. And I just felt like being in a uh, part of the country where we're not north, we're not south, but we're, we're certainly Midwest and we're certainly exposed to cold weather, much like New Englanders are. I, I felt like the ability just to get outside all the time and operate like a basketball coach where if you had a plan, you were going to operate no matter what. The turf allows you to do that. So because of the turf, the good thing is you're playing all the time. Maybe the tough thing is you're playing all the time. So you just got to be ready to play and no matter what. And um, I, I never felt that we were going to have it. But now that we have it, I think it's the best thing that we have just because it allows us to, to play all the time. And we went away from even a dirt mound because I felt like when we did have a dirt mound, the greatest disadvantage was the pitcher himself, because if it was raining, then everyone else was able to play with pretty good footing. The pitcher, on the other hand, was not, and it was buildup of mud and so on. So it became a distraction. So we ended up going turf in that, in that space, too. But, uh, yeah, you, there's, some, there's some intricacies to it that uh, sliding is, is definitely uh, a different situation. And I would say outside of that, you know, the ground ball hops, there's not much mystery to them where there is on grass and dirt. But uh, I, I think it, it benefits us a great deal to have the have the turf. Well, now I want to begin to delve into some of the questions as they were sent in from parents. And, hmm. you know, we spoke we speak quite a bit as far as the the younger levels of, of youth baseball. And I want to get started tonight by asking you. When should younger players begin to think or begin to work towards college baseball? It seems like within the travel baseball landscape, you know, we have some student athletes that bring that up at 10 to 12 to 13. My personal opinion, it might be a little bit young, but when do you generally get a sense that most of these younger players should start to worry and or focus on college baseball? I think later on in their high school career. Now, you know, I'm going to say some of these things, Walter, and, you know, Vanderbilt is, has certainly recruited younger kids before. And I, I think, you know, it happens all over. But I think generally speaking, and in most cases, I, I, I don't really think that males, young males are in a position, both mentally, physically, emotionally, to, to make decisions in, of, of that nature until – they're 
into their high school years, more like 10th and 11th grade, and sometimes senior year. We, we've had a lot of good players here that have committed to us during the course of their senior year, Carson Fulmer being one of them. And I, you know, I mentioned him today in a, in a separate situation, but I, I just think that when you select, when you, you think about college baseball, it's, it's one of the first large decisions that we make as an adolescent. And when, when you partner up with a, a university or a school, a, a parent is helping their child and they're lending their child to an institution in hopes that that supervision and the staff will be creating an environment of progressive growth, you know, academically, socially, emotionally, and athletically. And essentially, it just becomes a lifetime decision. And, and, and most times, it's life-altering in so many different ways, too. And the people inside that environment have a chance to be some of the most influential people in that, in that person's life. And I think being at such a large decision, we have to ask ourselves, why are we saddling a young kid with making that decision at the, one of the most vulnerable times of their life? I mean, young males at the age of 14, 15, and 16, I mean, they're... They act on impulse, emotions, um, they act before they think, they don't have reasoning skills, they don't really pause to consider their actions, and I think in a lot of ways they misread social cues of adults. So when you think about the, the, the importance of the decision that, and the kids making it, they're not fully equipped to make that decision, to have a, which is a lasting impact on their life, so really who's guiding them? And who's guiding them is adults. And sometimes it, it could be the parents. It could be people that have a, an interest in, in that kid. But I think you have to go back and, and think about why we're doing what we're doing and when we're making that decision to do it, because really it's a marriage. And I think when you think about marriages, you're thinking about going through experiences in a marriage situation, dating. So if, if you're a young kid looking at universities and schools, it makes a tremendous amount of sen sense for that young kid just to take his time and date, so to speak, just see other places, see schools, see the fit, because it really is a fit and more than anything. And when you're a young kid and you're making a decision on a school, you have no earthly idea what that, that situation is going to look like four or five years removed from the time that you made the decision. And the reality is in making that decision, it's it, it's really about to, a situation that's going to create some type of calm and uh, normalcy for you or, or just a, a place where you feel like you can grow because the people around you and the institution itself are places that, that fit your style of personality and, and fight, fit the type of person you are. And I think in a lot of cases, Walter, we don't know that. We just don't know that until we're 16 and 17. And I think so much of, of what we do right now is expediting life. We speeding things up rather than slowing these things down for young people. So they have a chance to make decisions with a sense of clarity and a sense of calm. And I think a lot of, you know, probably what you're going to ask me tonight is we got to ask about our participation as adults and how we're creating these environments for our kids to help them and guide them rather than put roadblocks in their life that they, they have to uh, overcome because of, uh, because of quick decisions and quick decision-making on, on large ticket items in our life. What roles 
I know that the Vanderbilt baseball camps are wildly successful with regard to attendance um, and their children of all ages. At, at, at what role do college baseball camps truly play with regard to recruiting, especially for Vanderbilt? Well, specific to us, I, I would say they play a big role. Uh, almost 50% of our roster has attended our camp. And does that mean we recruit outside of the camp? Of course. But what the camp allows us to do is meet someone personally. And I think meeting someone personally to see if, if both that person and Vanderbilt, the, the styles of, of the person and the style of our programs, they merge. And I, I think at least for a guy like myself, the ability to just to see young men in action and, and, and watch them and, and be able to communicate with them and, and see how they operate and watch them around other people. I just think there's, there's so many skills outside of the game itself. I mean, if you take the ball and the bat and the glove away from someone, they're left with their humanistic skills. And I, I think humanistic skills are best seen when you have involvement with them on a day-to-day basis. And they have involvement with you, too, because I think in, in, for a young person to make a decision on a school, they, they want to see who guides them. And what I try to do with the help of my wife and the help of our staff is create a, a camp environment that is similar to how we operate inside of our program. I try not to create any falsities, try to show them that this is, this is who we are. Uh, present the best possible situation. And for a camp, most of the kids at that camp will not attend your school. And if I was to attend a Vanderbilt baseball camp as Tim Corbin, the 14 or 15-year-old high school player from Wolfboro, New Hampshire, I never, would have been, I never would have been able to go to school here and play baseball here. But yet, if, he, if I showed up on campus to go to camp here, I would want to walk away from it with some type of gain. And I think I look at that person, including myself, as, as trying to create an environment where even if they didn't go to your school, they left that environment, said, you know what? That was one of the best experiences of my life. And the reason it was one of the best experiences of my life is because of the people and the place and the environment that was established in the camp. And that, to me, is the fundamental goal of, of what we would try to do in camp. I, I enjoy these a great deal, and I love them. We don't produce a lot of them because I like to do them right. But when we do, it's uh, the main intent is to create that type of experience for a young kid. Now, this is a follow-up question as it pertains to camps, and, and I'm just going to preface it by saying I have traveled around the country. I've watched many college baseball games, minor league baseball games, and, and major league baseball games. And it's very easy to point out the former Vanderbilt University baseball player now affectionately named the Vandy Boys. Um, could you speak to why at camps uh, and as many of your early practices in the fall that you focus on national anthem? Yeah, I just think it's Long before, long before the national anthem became a, I guess a, I don't, I don't know. It 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 became somewhat of a a hot button 
inside of our country a couple of years ago. And I, and I, you know, listen, I understand it. But, you know, the thing that I tell our kids, and I, I don't, I, I hesitate on passing along agendas, but before these kids are Vanderbilt students, they're, they're Americans. I mean, we, we have the freedoms that many, many people don't. Uh, I know Butch is on this call and, and maybe other people who have traveled around the country to see how other people live. And I know sometimes we're egotistical about our country, but we, we have some of the best opportunities known to man, our kids, our people, uh, the best universities, the best resources. And I, I just feel like at a lot of times, you know, today's Valentine's Day, you have, you have all these holidays and you know, we celebrate July 4th, we celebrate, we, you know, we celebrate all these holidays, but the ability to celebrate your, your country and, and the ability to do the things you do because you live in it, that, that's a gift. And I think for the two minutes and 30 seconds of, of standing at attention for a flag, for a song, is built basically a demonstration of gratitude towards what you have and how you do it. And there's a lot of people of different ethnic backgrounds that make that situation available to us. And I've just always felt like it's we're not going to some of our kids may end up going into the military. But, you know, whether we're military or first responders or just people in general, we we're able to help our communities by celebrating it when we have the opportunity to do so. And I just think that that moment before a game is the time that we can take to do it and, and with a general thank you for this opportunity and the continuance of, of what we have. And I, I've been a, a big believer in it. I was, I guess my dad raised me in a military sense in some ways in terms of made that important inside of our home. But beyond my dad, uh, it, it's, it's, been, it's been something that you know, I, I've communicated in a, in a lot of different ways with our kids about the importance of it. And they understand it. They understand it a great deal. And I think when they when they leave this place, it becomes something that they they pass along to other people as well. Over the uh, the years since 2002, when you first began uh, your head coaching uh, career at Vanderbilt, it's probably a little bit different today with regard to recruiting. But yeah. can you kind of give uh the people listening a kind of a sense of the student athlete that you um, keen in on or, or that is attractive to you both academically, athletically, socially, et cetera, just something characteristics or qualities that they may have over and above just baseball skill sets. I, I think if I had to put it just in, in a one sentence form, I would just say someone who, who has a high care level for what they're doing. If you, if you think about people in general that have a high care level for everything that they do, they, they have a high care level for how they act, how they represent, um, what they do, how they do it, how they meet people, uh, how, how, they, how they demonstrate gratitude, how they demonstrate effort. It, it's just a general care level for everything in their life. And I, I think there's a, an organizational piece to that that you can see in a young man that really, really matters. And I think inside of our university being private school, uh, 
very difficult to get into uh, because the kids are part of a baseball program here. They, they, they get the ability to use their baseball skills as a, as a way to acquire a world-class education. That too is a gift. And our daughter was, was a recipient of that as a, as a tennis player here. But if, if left to get into Vanderbilt on her own, she could not have gotten into school here. And generally speaking, that's, that's most of our athletes here, most of our baseball players. So in order to get here and be consistent, you, you, have, to, you have to be equipped to some degree with organizational skills and a high care level for what you're doing. And I think the kids inside this program, they, they demonstrate that or would have had to demonstrate it because the, the consistency piece of, of, of showing up every day and being ready for what you're doing, being guided by a staff, but at the same time being guided in a way in which you can create your, your own routines, your own habits, and by doing so, you can find some consistency within. But if it was just a baseball situation where only baseball skills mattered inside of this program, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. There's, there's so many other activities that are components of a, of a young person that matter in order for that person to be exposed to any type of success. And usually it's mental organization and how they treat their situation and treat the people around them. If they can't do that very well, it, it would make it very difficult to, to be part of the, the program here. Tim, I want to talk about the student athlete when they find their way to Vanderbilt. Um, what do you find is the toughest transition for a high school student athlete, not just at Vanderbilt University, but with regard to college baseball what do, what do you feel might be the missing piece as far as an understanding or an awareness that a family or a student athlete might have entering college from high school to play college baseball uh well i i, I think the if 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 you're talented enough to play at this level i i think the the things that the things that are necessary for, for consistency is your daily routine, routine, your management of a 24 hour day. I mean, as a young kid, let's just say you're talented enough to play baseball at this level as a, as an athlete, student athlete, you, you, you probably make over a hundred small decisions before you ever leave your dorm room every day. And those decisions are not left to chance with, routines because your body and your mind go into kind of an autopilot mode where you recreate those routines and on a kind of a sequence of actions that you you follow on a regular basis and those routines kind of guide you and they 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 calm you and those good routines make your make time your friend and if you don't have routines they make time your your enemy and I think routines become your habits and your habits become your discipline and your habits allow you to show up. And I think when you when you're a college student athlete, it's really about showing up. It, it's really about having a lifestyle that allows you to show up to class, allows you to show up to whatever you're performing in and show up with the ability to to perform. 
And I think players who accomplish successes inside this program in consistency are people who, who do small things really, really well. We're not talking about extravagant things. I mean, you're talking about just being able to be organized the night before you wake up, be organized in the morning before you, as, as you do get up and, and, and follow a line of regularities where you can leave the door and actually feel good about what you're going to and how you're going to be performing. And I, I think a lot of kids, when they go to school for the first time, uh, they're having to manage life without the guidance of adults. It's really the first time in their life where they're living in, not in a home with adults. And it's first time really the training wheels come off. So now you're waking up, starting your day, and you're performing based on the foundational skills that you came there with. And if you don't have those foundational skills or haven't learned them, or I think better yet, not willing to adjust to them, then then it makes it very difficult to show up and get on, get inside of a classroom and perform, get on a baseball field and, and feel at peace with, okay, my day started off well. I feel like I'm, I'm ready to go. I feel like I'm, I'm ready to compete inside this environment. I'm clear. I've got enough sleep. I've eaten well. It, it's a lot of those small decisions that you make that have everything to do with just showing up well before you even start performing. So I, I think a lot of times we get caught up in how we're going to perform, but we haven't given ourselves a, a, a platform or a foundation to show up in a way that's going to enhance our abilities at the time we, we get in a classroom or get on the field. Tim, could you speak to the, I, I kind of know how you would respond to this, but it's been asked in several different ways. And yep. I'm going to paraphrase. A lot of student athletes and families are bypassing playing for their high school team in order to face better competition in their opinion, as it pertains to travel baseball, would you, or do you feel college coaches would still recruit student athletes if they were not, participating with their high school team and instead playing strictly summer travel baseball? Well, I think they would. I, I mean, I think there's school, you know, plenty of people that are schools that would recruit someone who left their high school team. For me, being part of a, a high school team or teams shows loyalty. It, it, it shows it shows a care for other things. I, I think when, not to say that when someone leaves their high school and goes and plays for a travel team, they're just absorbed in their own individual thoughts and, and, and mindset. But I, I feel like being part of a high school is a very natural thing. Being part of a high school program is a very natural thing. Performing and playing with people that you care about, I think, is a becomes a very emotional thing. And when you operate inside of a sport with other people and you do it with other people that you care about, then it becomes highly emotional, emotional. And that emotion triggered with your abilities allows you to reach levels of play that you couldn't do by yourself. And, and I think that's, that's the piece of, of, to be an athlete and to be part of a team and understand what a team is, is the greatest gift 
a male could get and a female for that matter just to be part of something else where it's not about you but yet you're adding to the experience because of you being there because of your emotion for it and the emotion of the people that you're playing with and that that's what high school does and that's what high school sports does and you know I'm a big advocate of of playing other sports and not that every kid we have here plays baseball only but I, I just I love the feeling of 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 someone who's playing high school sports just because they're playing it for other reasons just that outside of self gratitude and or I mean self self fulfillment they're doing it because they 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 enjoy the people they're doing it with and because they feel an affinity towards towards the school that they're going to and I think when you go off to college and you play inside of a college program at least here that that's the type of person we want we want people who who really enjoy doing what they're doing because they do, in, enjoy doing it with other people and they become greater because they're doing it with other people and uh that's that's a life lesson i mean that's that's a parent lesson that that's kind of who you become as an adult later on i mean the greatest teammate you'll ever be is if you're a parent or a husband or a wife and the leader of your own family and you learn those lessons early in life when you see them modeled either by your own parents or you become part of them when you're on a team and i know that you've touched on this before and i just want to reiterate because you you kind of touched on it there the multi-sport athlete versus mm-hmm. the training all year round or lifting specifically for baseball or working out as a pitcher only the value of a multi-sport athlete from an athletic perspective in, in your opinion it does I, I know you've had several hockey players you've had Sonny Gray was a great football player I mean we could go on and on the value of playing multiple sports you know, is purely, in your opinion, it benefits the overall athletic ability as young student athletes get older. Would you agree with that? I would definitely agree with it. I, I think it. I think first off, it, it it teaches you other skills that that might not be specifically related to the game of baseball, but very much related to the game of baseball. Skills of spatial awareness. Um, the ability to adjust, the ability to play when your body feels like, well, you, you play high school football. You wake up on a Saturday morning, your body feels probably like a three or a four out of a one to 10 scale, 10 being the best. And I think what athletes learn when they play other sports is you don't have to be at an, a nine or a 10 in order to perform at a nine and 10. I think what other sports allow you to do outside of baseball is they show you that your body can still operate at a nine or 10 when you feel like a four or a five, just because you understand pains and you understand contact and you understand just not necessarily feeling your best. I mean, that's not going to be the case. I mean, you play in a a college baseball season or a, professional baseball season and well college for one because I'm in the middle of it but you don't feel the same in May as you you did in February when we start when you start your season you don't feel the same in June I mean your body's banged up a little bit your mind's banged up a little bit Uh, it's just there's a 
there's a good lesson to be learned by playing a contact sport or at least another sport just from the standpoint of it gets you away from baseball. So it, it, it gives you the opportunity to kind of decompress and, and kind of move away from that for a while. I, I think the one thing about playing a sport year round is you can play it and you can train at it, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're getting better at it because I think when your mind is fully engaged in a skill, it's because it's hungry for that skill. And if you feed it every single day and you feed it a lot, it doesn't really mean that you're, you're going to be acquiring all the skills inside of the repetitions that, or the training that you're exposed to. So I think that's what sport does. Sport allows us to, to get out of a, another sport, play another sport, get out of a comfort zone, and then fall back to that sport at some point in time and then benefit from the fact that you weren't playing it and now you're very hungry for it. And I think we'll have a lot of time in our life if, if we're good enough to play one sport, I think we'll have a lot of time of life just to focus in on that. But high school athletics and the ability to do other things with other people, other coaches, I think is, is very beneficial to, to anyone. And I'm, I'm a big, big proponent of it. I feel like, as I said, I, I don't. Not everyone's just played other sports here, but I, I would I would say that most of our kids are multi-sport and sometimes have played three sports in in high school and are very good at what they're doing. I mean, you look at our major league players right now, and whether it's Dansby Swanson or David Price or Sonny Gray, all those kids played two or three sports and were very good at the other sport. By the way, including your son who I know you wouldn't mention, but your son played football and was good at it. And I, I just feel like it, it's, it's just uh, there's a wealth of growth that comes with that. You know, all too often we hear the word development being thrown around at the youth baseball levels, but I want to talk about it in, in reference to and how it's used at the college baseball level. You know, we often talk about when we're going to play – do you have a spot for me? What is your roster going to look like? But I've watched your practices, the, the energy and the, the, the speed, and I watch all of the players collectively all engaged. Can you talk to the developmental piece of a student athlete from the freshman year into that junior and senior year, you know, when their time comes, but you know, a lot of that development at the college process gets lost. Can you talk to that about really bringing out the best in all of the 35 guys on any given roster? Yeah, I, I think when you, you talk about a big roster, Walter, I, you know, I, right now we have 40, and, and that's a lot. And as I tell the kids, it, it just means that nine, nine people are eating at the table, and then 31 other people are watching those nine kids eat. And I, I think if we're going to talk about development, I think the first thing a young man has to learn is a team role before a playing role. I think understanding a team role and how to fulfill a team role in, in the hopes of maybe someday playing, but understanding that you're probably not going to play at least early in your collegiate life if you're at a program that's very competitive, then your fallback and your default is your growth, your everyday growth in hopes that at some point in time, that growth will put you on the field. And 
I think too many times when we think about the outcome of, well, I want to play. Well, everyone wants to play. And, and, and that, that's understood. But the reality is understanding patience may be the most important piece of being a collegiate athlete that anyone could learn. And understanding a team role is right there with it because we all are going to serve team roles at some point in time. I mean, we're, uh, we're, you know, whether we're dads or whether we're husbands, there's going to be a point in time where we're not the main thing. And that's because the main thing might be the kids. And to understand that as a male is most important because, you know, males, we, we, we create a lot of our issues. I mean, we don't give life. We, 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 oftentimes in our country, we take life and, and females give life. So they're born inherently to serve other people. They're empathetic. They take care of people. And I think if there is a, a, a component of a male that's missing in most cases, just generally speaking, that's the one that that's the piece that they don't understand, because when you're a really talented kid, both academically or athletically, or just let's just say athletically, you've been celebrated for a long period of time and you've been told that you're good for a long period of time. And then when you go into a program where you've been told you're good for a long period of time, your expectation is, well, I'm good. And if I go here, I'm going to play. And when that time comes where you don't play, your acceptance of it is, is probably very little. You, you probably don't have much patience for it. And I think before anyone walks into the walls of a place like this, it's just a, an understanding of there, there's a good chance that you might not play for a year. There's a good chance you might not play for two years. But if you, you stick to the process of growth and development and you learn to celebrate other people in a, in a, in a large way, you're going to see that the positive energy that you get from that is going to come right back around full circle to you to where you're going to create opportunity for yourself. There's going to be people underneath you that are going to celebrate you. And it's kind of a, it's a circle. It's a, it's just kind of a, this, uh, just this piece of, of being part of a program and a competitive program that, that is really fulfilling once you understand that serving a team role is, is most important before I ever step foot on a field and play for a team. And I think that that's the part of this program that is, uh, it's certainly stressed and it's stressed before even someone gets in here. And then it's stressed a lot when a person's here, it's almost like a vitamin. Uh, it's something hit on every day. And, the reason I do is because what it does is it creates harmony, creates harmony in that locker room and harmony inside that locker room is the most important thing before every single one of those players steps on a field. Tim, could you speak to the value that you as a coach or part of a coaching staff places on the classroom environment prior to your student athletes going out and um, practicing on the field of play? Yeah, so you're talking specifically, Walter, about our classroom? Yes, sir. Yeah, well, it's something that came to me when I was in – I was a junior varsity baseball coach back in New Hampshire. Uh, 
and um in, in 1985 you, you know in new hampshire much like where you're from walter um if you had baseball time in march there was a lot of snow still on the ground which meant that you were competing for gym time with the other teams that were there, whether it was golf, whether it was tennis, whether it was softball, you were competing for gym time because you couldn't go outside. So uh, even back then I felt like, okay, if we're only going to get an hour and a half inside that gym, then I I have to be able to do other things that are going to help these kids grow in the game of baseball. So I took an overhead projector and a chalkboard and just started teaching baseball. And I know that that moment right there was the impetus to what I'm doing right now. Now, from 1984 to 2022, the curriculum inside that classroom is different. But the reason I'm such a big believer in it is because we start every day in there, and it's not just the players, it's everyone in our program. So there's 55 people that show up and sit in that classroom it's very intentional seating. They all have a notebook. Um, it's a way of centering everyone on the same subject area. It's, it's, a, it's a way to produce teaching elements, whether it's baseball or male awareness or how to treat people or how to fly on an airplane. It, it doesn't really matter what the subject area is. Whatever we teach inside of that, that's the area that, you know, I feel like I like to teach the most so that when the kids get to the field, that becomes their playground. I just feel like the field for them, that's something they earned. That's something that they've, they've been able to get to. That's their swing set. That's their jungle gym. That's, that's everything that they want to do during recess. And I think being able to give your players that space and empower them to utilize that space to the best of their ability to play with freedom is very empowering. And I think it opens up a a channel of passion that they haven't been exposed to in a lot of different cases. And, you know, I, I, I love giving that to them. It doesn't mean that we're, we're void of teaching down there, but I don't like to stop them. I I think once we're in motion, I, I love for them just to go and I love for them to celebrate one another and help teach one another. But, I think we set that all up in the classroom. So anything that we do on the field is already set up and communicated in the classroom so that when we get down to the field, then, then we just, then we just go. But I would say in non-traditional baseball times, I don't, I don't speak about any baseball in that classroom. I speak about everything but baseball in that classroom. And you know, Maggie is in the back row. I mean, she's, you know, my wife and I have chosen to do this as a team. Uh, as you know, I'm a step parent. So I helped raise two girls at the age of five and eight. And I think part of my plight here is, is being a step parent too. And I think for Maggie, she feels the same way. Now the girls are 34 and 37. They're out of the home and we just dedicate our life to to this. I mean, we just try to be the facilitators of an environment. And I think environment is just people in place and allowing people to do their best work, whether it's your staff and whether it's your kids. 
But I think the biggest thing that we can do to help facilitate it is get the hell out of the way. I mean, it's, 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 it's guiding them. It's, it's creating a, it's, it's organizing it. But at the same time, we want them to be able to build it. And I've always used the analogy of, and I'm sorry, I'm going on about this, but I've always wanted to use the analogy, Walter, when you're a parent, you put your kids in the back seat of a car. And then at some point in time, you put them in the passenger's side. And, and while they're in the passenger's side, you're showing them how to drive. And then at some point in time, they become the driver and then you become the passenger. But as you become the passenger, you're still talking to them in a way of, okay, you know, turn on your blinker up here. We're going to take a left up here. So you're still helping them navigate. But I think as parents and coaches, what we all want, at least I do, is when your kids look at you and they go, dad, give me the keys. And you give them the keys and they say, would you, would you please get in the back seat? I want to drive and I just want you to enjoy the ride. Would you please enjoy the ride? And I think when you have a team that, that does that and they put the coaches in the back seat and say, we've got this. You've done your work. You, you've helped us get to this point. Now let's, let us take it. It's the best feeling in the world. And I think you could say that as a dad and a mom, too, is when you send your child off for school and you've created these foundations, but yet you release the experience to them. You just allow them to have the experience and say, you know what? We're here, but we don't want to get in the way. This is yours. You've earned this right. And we think we've created the right foundations and standards and values for you to navigate this space really, really well. When you need us, call us. But otherwise, we're just going to enjoy it from afar. And I think there's so much help in that because what you're doing is you're empowering your child to make decisions through trial and error and develop these relationships that will stay with them for the rest of their life. But if we intercede and, 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 and get in their way, we, we basically hijack their abilities to grow as people and to develop those relationships because of trial and error that will sustain them for life. And that, that to me is, is why we create the, you know, the environment that we do inside of this program. Can you uh, talk to how you as a university or you as a program have either implemented or have been working with any type of, mental preparation uh, you know kind of interaction with the with the players with regard to the need to have results to have good games to perform in front of scouts is there any type of engagement with regard to mental preparation mindset both at the practice level and at the game level with regard to your student athletes every day I, I mean I just think that we, we get away from from the outcomes because the outcomes and the expectations, those are the things that derail us. I mean, I, I think it's, it, it's really the pieces of, of being able to center yourself and balance yourself inside of what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. That, that, that's the most important thing. Uh, I speak very little about any national championship or any uh, in Omaha or SEC championships or even wins and losses for that matter. I, I think... I think what, what, what's most important for these kids is 
is just to challenge themselves to improve and, and grow on a day-to-day basis, on a weekly basis. And if they can stay centered on, on those things, those, those are what, what matters most. I think chasing celebratory moments is just such a, you know, and I, I know I'm, I'm not going to speak a whole lot on social media, but I think that's, that's where we get lost. I mean, I think we, we're, we're chasing this, these, these moments that don't have any sustainability. And those small moments, those celebratory moments, the wedding, so to speak, are, those are small snapshots in our life. They're very emotional, but they're unlasting. And what's sustainable is relationship building and lasting experiences, which allow natural growth through what you do on a day-to-day basis. And, and for a young person to experience that without the pushing and prodding of, of adults, it, it allows them it allows them to, to grow. And I, I think it's, it's all about how you position your, your environment. And if it's moved towards an outcome, if it's moved towards a draft, if it's moved towards these, these, these moments that are so difficult to come by and especially difficult to come by when expectations are heaped upon you and your results driven, it, 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 it's deflating and it undermines the kids. And, and I think the best thing you, you potentially can do with these kids is just learning through growth and competency. And competency is just your ability to, to just make small gains throughout a, a short, short window of time. And then those small gains become a little bit larger. But really, that's how your self-esteem is gained. Your self-esteem is not gained by people telling you you're this or you're that or how you're ranked. I mean, those things mean nothing. That they don't they don't mean anything at all. I think what what matters most is is just your internal confidence based on how you govern yourself, how you live your life, how you develop relationships with the people around you, and your day to day growth as a person. And we try to keep it very simple here. I promise you, it, it's so simple here. It's we don't we don't get lost in the weeds on other things. Now, I think what happens sometimes, Walter, is there's a lot of voices with, with our kids and with every kid. And sometimes it's in direct conflict with, with maybe how I approach them or, or what I'm teaching. But I try to explain to them that, listen, simple is better, slow and steady, being patient, understanding that this isn't a, this isn't a race. Everyone, everyone runs their race completely different. If you're trying to run your race with the guy on your left to run the race from the guy on your right, you're not running your race, number one. And number two, you're, you're following something that you shouldn't. Your race is yours only. It's just inclusive of you. You're doing it with other people, but it's yours. And I think because it's yours, we set traps for them by just generally a young kid coming into our program saying, yeah, I'm going to go to school for three years. And after three years, I'm, I'm going to go into the draft. That's debilitating. That, that's, that's an expectation. That, you know, the, the, most of these kids, and, and you know this because you've, you've talked to many, many kids 
if if they really had forget the finance finances, if they had their way, they would stay in school for as long as they could, knowing full well that those were probably the most joyous times of their life. It was the time where they were smiling the most. It was the time where they weren't restricted. It was the time where they were having a lot of fun. And it was a time where they were able to unleash their abilities in so many different ways, whether those were emotional, physical, mental, what have you. And I, I just feel like once they leave it, it, it just becomes a little bit more tumultuous for kids. And I, I just, you know, I just don't want kids to ever come into this environment thinking, this is how it's going to go. It never goes the way you thought it was going to go. Never. And life doesn't go that way either. So why put any expectations on it and, and, and uh, parameters around it? It's just get in the middle of it, try to enjoy it for what it is, and start to learn to celebrate other people outside of yourself. And I feel like if you can do that as a person, you're going to have a tremendous experience. I, th I sometimes when I'm talking with parents and, and I was the biggest, uh, you know, I, I probably made the most mistakes I made as a parent was not an understanding the weight of expectation, what it meant, the burden it carried, uh, instead of just the simple enjoyment of the participation of the game um, at the collegiate level. Um, so when I speak with parents, I think it's really important to not worry about rankings and not worry about showcases and actually just work on being better yourself on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and, and on that note, I want to ask you, you know, when you're dealing with student athletes with regard to recruiting and some of these student athletes are all caught up in metrics or, or, um, uh, people they take lessons from and, and you talk about keeping it simple how does that carry when they get to Vanderbilt do they basically just surrender all these people that are doing all these lessons with them or do they carry them into uh their you know their college career or are they fo focused on Bax and Brownie and, and the coaching staff and Hammer uh or do you still have to interact with other people giving advice or instruction well, I think it's, you know, it's different for each kid. I mean, there's some, there's some wonderful teachers out there. I mean, some kids are exposed to some wonderful teachers and teachers who are doing it for the right reasons. They're trying to guide these kids to the best of their ability. But I think if, if you're a, a, a teacher that is, is working with a young person, regardless of what you're working on them with, you, you also understand that you're, you're doing it for one reason, to help that person. You're not doing it for self self fulfillment i mean it feels good when you're helping someone but you're not doing it for self you're doing it for someone else and i think there's a lot of young kids who come into this program with 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 good mentors in their life and good teachers in their life whether it's baseball teachers or baseball coaches whatever you want to put on them so i don't i don't think they surrender that i i don't but i think when they come into a situation like this is a teachable spirit is one where you open yourself up because of your curiosity and, and because of your want to, to grow, to be able to listen to people with, with experience that are not domineering, but yet want to walk next to you. They don't want to walk in front of you. They want to walk next to you or walk behind you at some point in time where they can let you go. And I think 
you know, our teachers here, whether it's Brownie or whether it's Bax or whether it was Macias or Shoemaker, any of our, our people here, we go into this as guides. We go into it as, as teachers, not thinking that we, we know everything, not thinking that every last bit of knowledge is the greatest knowledge these kids will ever learn. But as, as people, as, as teachers who, who just want to improve, and aren't trying to build their own title by virtue of what they're what they're communicating to a kid, and I, I think communicating that there's tremendous strength in words and power of your words, and, and being an adult understanding how your words can be can help a can help a young person reach levels of growth that they've never been exposed to, but also how words can be very damaging to young people. And I, I think as a teacher, being able to do that and being able to do it in a way that you're going to help growth rather than deter it, it is, is really important. But we do get away from outcomes. And I, I think simple outcomes as, as such as exit speeds, velocities, all, all, all these different things that you attach to a, a baseball skill, do they matter? They might matter, but the reality is, and I was talking to Brownie about this today, is Miguel Cabrera's bat speed is anywhere from 75 to 85 miles an hour. And there's bat speed by 18 and 19-year-old kids that would supersede the speed of how Miguel Cabrera's bat is swinging. But yet Miguel Cabrera is probably swinging that bat speed with a very controlled, and a very contained move, one that probably resembles a jab rather than a roundhouse punch. And because he's doing that, he's able to control the barrel of the bat in a very consistent manner where he can repeat that swing. And I think I use that as an example because I think a lot of times we're moved and controlled by the end result of a ball 95 miles an hour or a bat speed or an exit speed reaching speeds that are in triple digits or 95 miles an hour when reality is that's a product of things done well and done simply and and i think it's you can get lost in a lot of different directions by what you hear by what you see by what's celebrated rather than the consistency of what you do on a you know, on a, on a repetitious basis. And I, I, I think that is, is where we try to teach our kids is not getting lost in the weeds of things that don't, don't really matter. And, and don't really, when you get into these competitive environments, don't help you. And I think just imparting wisdom and just imparting experiences to help them grow and allowing them to grow without manufacturing every moment for them is, is the best thing that we can do as, as teachers. I'm going to try to answer some of these questions that have been uh, coming in here as you've been speaking. And one of them is, do you foresee any changes with regard to the transfer portal? And can you as a college coach understand how frustrating it is for student athletes and families where there's we there's never any certainty as to who they're truly 
being recruited with and or against, meaning how do I know what roster spaces are available if the transfer portal can literally add 10 new players to a team within a year? Do you see any changes coming to the transfer portal at any point in the near future? I do. And I, I and, and, and to answer your question, Walter, I do understand the frustration of a, a family, not, not completely understanding what, what that space is going to look like in a year from now or two years from now or three years from now. Hence the reason it makes sense just to hold on and, and wait and, 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 and kind of, you're, you're in your process, at least for me, if I was guiding my own son, I would just say, let's, let's just sit down and wait. Let's just wait this out, continue your growth. And, and just if it, when it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. If it does, it does. You know, it's, it, it's like you're, you're going to be in, you're going to be in a situation that's meant to fit you at some point in time. Rarely do we, are we in situations as we get closer to them where they're not fits. And I, but I do think that the earlier we, we choose to make a decision on something that's four or five years away from it, we can put ourselves in a, in a tough position. But I I think that with the, the transfer portal, uh, yeah, listen, I'm not against, someone transferring because there we all make mistakes and there are mistakes being made both by coaches and both by kids on where they selected to play. But I think the portal itself has allowed us as people just to, okay, it's not working out here. Okay. I'm just going to leave it. And, and I don't think that really bodes well for a young person. I don't think that bodes well long-term. Uh, I think there are reasons to transfer but sometimes, and I would say a lot of times, those reasons are because people are impatient, impatient because they're not getting what they feel like they, they signed up for. And that, that's unfortunate because that's not how life works. Life doesn't work that way at all. It's, it's patience. It's perseverance. It's falling down. It's getting back up. It's falling down again. It's getting back up again. And I think every time we move away from a roadblock or a hurdle, we're just escaping those things in our life that are going to be, that's going to be part of our life. It's like a relationship doesn't work out. Okay. I'm going to go to the portal and get another wife. I mean, that's, that's not how it works. I mean, you jump into something, you jump into it with the full intentions of trying to do the best you possibly can. And if it doesn't work out right away, then we'll then be patient with it and and just get better. Um, And I, I do think the, the portal has been just that, you know, in football, it's, it's a hot button and basketball, it's a hot button and baseball is a hot button. And we haven't gone to the portal for players. And I, I just, I don't, I don't want to go that way. And I'm not saying that we, we won't, but I, I think in a lot of times you're, you're, you're picking up someone who was dissatisfied with one thing, thinking that if he removes himself, the grass is going to be greener over here. And that's just, that's just not the case, but I do think it'll be modified because I think it's, it's opened up a, it's opened up a, a number of issues that are potentially damaging both the kids and college programs themselves. Tim, could you, I know um, you've had uh, 
junior college student athletes play at Vanderbilt. Drew Van Hagen, uh, mm -hmm. uh, a pitcher, and I know you have a current uh, player from LSU, Eunice. Could you speak to families that have un they're unfamiliar with the junior college process and its role within college baseball? Is this something that more parents should be considering for, or better yet, is this something that student athletes should be considering when looking into playing college baseball? Absolutely. I mean, there, there's, there's so many good college programs out there and there's so many good junior college programs out there. I just think that if, if a young man wants to, to play division one baseball and he's on the cusp of playing division one baseball, but yet may not have the strength, may not have the mental strength, may not have certain skills, whether it's physical, emotional, or what have you, then two years at a junior college is a, is a great opportunity to both develop academically, develop socially and mentally, and certainly in baseball. And I mean, we may have some junior college coaches on this, on this call, but there's some tremendous, you mentioned LSU, Eunice, I mean, Jeff Willis and his program. I mean, Javi Vaz, the one young man that you're talking about, played there, and I mean that that's a tremendous program. There's a there's a lot of them, but they can be exposed to such growth and and such and gain gain the elements of of being a, a four year college kid just by learning in in what may be an environment that is, is steady, not overwhelming, academically uh, reachable, uh, be exposed to confidence and, and, and growth inside of a classroom. Uh, I, I think for so many kids that might not be ready for this level, I just think, I just think it makes a lot of sense. I, I think it makes a tremendous amount of sense. And, and, and as long as you're moving in a in an academic way once you get to that school uh which i, I think the, the guy like jeff and there's as i said many other junior colleges that you know have a have a great handle on the academic side of things for these kids to help them move from that school to a to a four-year college tim does the role of the mlb draft meaning signability or or anything to do with the potential draft pick pay, play any role uh, with regard to your recruiting? Meaning, do you recruit um, any differently in hopes of having to fill a roster spot? That's the question from the parent. I'm not asking in reference to draft picks or MLB. Just do you plan ahead to see if people are signable or going to probably sign? Does that play any role with regard to your recruiting? It does. I mean, it has to. I mean, I think in some cases we – when we set out to, to to recruit someone at, at Vanderbilt, we set out to recruit a, you know, the, the whole student athlete. We we set out to recruit someone where academics is is very important to them. But as as they grow as people, they grow in skill, and sometimes they grow in skill to a level where they become highly sought after, even at the professional level. And then at, at that point right there, we as, as coaches say to ourselves, are, are we covered if, in fact, we lose that person? 
So it, it, beca- it can become a situation where you might be duplicating positions. You might be duplicating roster spots where you're trying to protect your program and you're trying to protect a loss of your forecasting what potentially could happen. And that, that's not easy. It's, it's not easy. It's, it's, it's difficult. And it, it, it's why it, at certain points we can find ourselves in roster positions where you're looking at the roster, the roster limit was 35 prior to COVID. It's now 40 right now, but it's going to go back to 35 next year. And ultimately, you'd like to have roster spots that are somewhere in 35, 36, 37 range, which to me is healthy because if you non-roster kids, it doesn't it doesn't mean that they can't play in your program. It just means that they'll they'll have to spend a year in a, a developmental phase before they become a, a roster spot. And that's happened inside of our program several times. And kids that have ended up be, becoming very good players and professional players at that too. But I think that's that's the thing. I think you know in our situation when we commit a kid, we could be committing a kid that may very well be faced with the option of playing professional baseball versus college baseball. And that, that becomes the, the rub that becomes the rub for us. And what do we do? How do we handle ourselves just in case we lose that player? And at times we can be duplicating resources and we just don't want to do it at the level where we, we, we put the kid themselves in a tough situation where there's no, they can't find a, a window of opportunity. Butch, did you have a question for Corbs? Yeah, I do. Hey, Coach. Hey, Butcher. So glad you're on here, and these people are getting to feel your humility and the, the person that you are. I have one question for you, and it has nothing to do with baseball, because, I mean, I, the, what you're sharing with us tonight is incredible. When you're not at a baseball field, Coach, I kind of want to know what you like to do. What What do you like to do besides baseball and when you get time to yourself? Uh, that's a, that, I appreciate the question. I, I just like to hang with Maggie. Uh, I mean that. I, You know, I, I got a very simple life. It's um, She's here with me right now. We're in the office, and she's just hanging out. But uh, – I work out in the morning, come to the office, and and we go out to eat every night. I mean, it is it's such a simple life, but we love it um, because it's it's just something that I know we you know being sixty years old, I I know that I won't get this opportunity forever, and I just want to take advantage of it. But I think you know doing what I do outside of baseball is very much with just her. You know, I don't. I won't have much more time with her either. Really, when you look at life and big scheme of things, you, you get this small window of opportunity. And you don't know when it's going to end. So I, I really, I think the, the piece of life that, of getting older is I just, I have a greater appreciation for the 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 boys. I have a greater appreciation for what we do as a couple, and I just try to spend as much time here as as I can and. 
you know, whether it's not baseball, even though I'm here and it could be talking to the kids about other things, it's just learning to celebrate them and, and, uh, be around them as, as much as you possibly can, knowing full well that at some point in time we, we won't be able to do it. I know you wanted to tell Butch that you're heavily into MMA and you're going to be on pay-per-view TV. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I do. I do. I do. I love UFC. But if I go to the UFC, I'm with my wife. <laughs> so, yeah, we do it together. There's not, not many things that we don't do where we're not together. Well, I can attest to all that. I know that Maggie is probably a stepmom, you know, almost close to a thousand times over. I mean, I, I think I've any parent that I've ever interacted with and any of the student athletes that I might chat with, they're always bringing Maggie into the equation. I had the pleasure of sitting with her in the dugout, and I know it's an integral part of the relationships that – are, are, are made and, and kind of honed during their, their time at the school because wherever you see Corbs, you see Maggie. And I think that's kind of a separator uh, with regard to relationship uh, development. Um, Tim, I want to say thank you. I know it's Valentine's Day. I know Maggie's probably waiting on going out to dinner, and I've kept you a long time. And I and I greatly appreciate Maggie making time for us this evening. I think everyone that's taken the time to listen to us tonight has enjoyed. I I really wanted to try and make this somewhat different from the perspective of not worrying about when do kids commit, when do you get recruited, how you know because that's pretty much a reiteration. I wanted people to kind of gain a sense of awareness into the the complexities and, and some of the thought processes that go into being a college baseball coach and the relationships and, and what matters most. Uh, the takeaway from those three to four years and the mindset and so on. So I greatly appreciate you taking the time here tonight. Everything that you've done, not only for, for my family, but as for baseball as a whole, it's tremendously appreciated. And I, and I, I want to just make sure I say thank you for, for spending the time with us here tonight. Thank you very much, Walter. I, I appreciate it a lot. And it's always good chatting with you. I do appreciate it though. All right, Captain. And I want to let everyone know that on uh, next Monday, we'll have Ben McDonald, uh, SEC commentator, Baltimore Orioles commentator. Uh, Butch, on Sunday evening, Athlete 911, will have the president of the Kansas City Royals, Dayton Moore. Uh, this is something that will be ongoing for the remaining portion of 2022. Uh, again, our new name, Masters of Baseball, bringing the level of education and awareness and access to members of the baseball community, both collegiately, travel ball, and professionally, uh, to parents and student athletes, that's something we really want to do to give back. This is something I've been passionate about since the early spring of 2021. So our new Twitter uh, handle is uh, Masters of BB, um, and you can follow us over there. Um, Masters of Baseball, obviously. Sunday evenings and Monday evenings, we'll, we'll continue to have our talks. Our podcast will be up online on our new website this week. Uh, Butch and I are efforting to have that up and running by the end of this week, hopefully. We're also going to have a YouTube channel and other, uh, other outlets. So again, I want to say thank you to everyone. The podcast will be edited and up online at some point this week. Uh, look forward to having everybody join Butch on Sunday and have a great week and look forward to next Monday.